All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money wise podcast through apple podcasts where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show well as we kick off every weekend's money wise program i turned it over to my brother jeff to go into the numbers from wall street from last week so jeff take it away okay in the week just passed the dow jones industrial average was down about 606 points or 1.7 percent the s&p 500 last week was down about 91 points or 1.9 percent And the NASDAQ last week was down about 461 points, or 2.9%. Now for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 15.5%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 23%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 17.7%. So what a week this past week. It was all about the Fed. (laughs) All about the Fed. And I would say the first two days, Monday, Tuesday, it was selling the rumor. And then when the Federal Open Mouth Committee or the FOMC came out with their decision, there was obviously buying on the news, which then quickly turned to selling Thursday and Friday. So there was the week summed up right there. We're done with the show. Well, and then everyone's always looking for a reason. You know, everyone wants to, okay, well, why was it down 600 points? Really, a lot of this was Friday. A lot of these these negative numbers have all to do with Friday, with the exception of the NASDAQ. Most of the Dow loss occurred, occurred on Friday, and most of the loss on the S&P occurred on Friday, but not so much for the NASDAQ. And, you know, to me – my you know my theory that's what's happening right now is is the 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 high flyers of the year are are that have in certain portfolios around the country around the world that are that are be, that are have gotten out of their target allocations by whoever's managing them their money has taken it upon themselves to adjust their portfolios here at the end of the year and sell a lot of those names uh because they, did, they didn't have any tax considerations, maybe these maybe these particular portfolios didn't have uh, are, aren't taxable. They were endowments, they were pension plans, uh, not you know, IRAs, 
And, and so just to square up the positions in their portfolios going into the Christmas holiday, there was a, a, an increased intensity of selling in, in those names that have done the best this year. And you compound that with a uh, options expiration and you compound that with the fact that we're heading into the Christmas holiday week and there'll be people maybe taking the whole week off next week or maybe taking the rest of the year off. So let's get all my portfolio squared up for the end of the year. And, uh, so, so you can't, you can't rationally explain why a certain stock was down 7%, 8%, 10% on the week with no news. There's not a real rational explanation. So the only explanation you can really give is it's just, there's a lot of these end of the year moves, but what I think is happening right now is not, is not something that we should all be like, Oh, you know, the, like the sky is falling and this is the beginning of a 20% downturn. I heard a client mention to me this week, he keeps hearing about the word crash and, oh my goodness, you know, it's, it's just exhausting. I hear that once a month. I mean, we hear, I mean, literally that is something that we do talk about when we're talking to clients. It comes up every month. I mean, well, the, the, anytime the there's thing a, that, a downturn. The thing, that it, the thing that investors have to understand is that there is a cottage industry around fear mongering. And there are newsletter writers and there's people that do a lot of spam emails that use the word crash and it's a bubble and all of these things because at the end of their whole write-up, they want to sell you something. They want to sell you something. They want to give you all the reasons why the bottom is going to drop out. But if you buy this now in your portfolio and make me a ton of money as the newsletter writer or the email sender, then everything's going to be okay. So it's important for investors to understand that. And you can't allow your emotions and the sensational writings of these newsletters and emails get you sucked in to whatever it is that they're selling. I will say something about the trend in the Fed here of late is they they keep changing their story. And the changes in the story are, you know, they're accelerating the taper faster than was originally announced more than a month ago, which which uh, the market is interpreting as a faster pace of interest rate increases next year. There are more Fed governors coming out and saying things to the same to the same. Uh, they're tied to that same narrative. So the market is adjusting to that. The market is adjusting to the fact that we may be done with the taper by March instead of May, and that the first interest rate increase may come before summertime rather than closer to the fall. Uh, and so that, you know, the market's going to get spooked for a moment. Yes, Kyle, you want to say something? Well, I was going to say, you just said in a, there's a very key word, may. It may, the Federal Reserve may raise rates. We know the taper is going to be done if they're continue at this pace, since they increased from 50, 15 billion in reductions to 30 billion, that was announced on Wednesday. But we knew that it was pretty much in the cards that the Federal Reserve, J- Jerome Powell, was going to come out and say that they're accelerating the taper. So if they continue to stay on this course, that will end in March. And like you said, Jeff, may then give them the clearance to raise interest rates sometime in April, May timeframe. But it, it's, it's a May. It, it's not guaranteed. It's all going to be data dependent, which Jerome Powell very much said. 
in his press conference answering questions from reporters, but also in his statement that he gave Wednesday after the announcement. But let's, let's put these in context. Let's say the Federal Reserve raises interest rates three times next year. To take the overnight Fed's fund rate to, to three-quarters of 1% to 0.75%, that's still historically low. The big question is, how will the stock market respond to it? But they're becoming, they've been very transparent about the taper, increasing the taper. They've put it out there on the table. We could see three interest rate increases. But again, it's all going to be data dependent. But let's pick this up on the other side of the commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162 if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, just continuing to recap the happenings from Wall Street this past week, and really, all last week was about the Federal Reserve and their meeting and the announcement from the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, and their decision to accelerate the pace of their bond purchases being slowed down or tapered. So they've increased it from a $15 billion reduction to $30 billion reduction, which puts the Fed at March to be ending their bond purchasing. So the conversation we were having before we went to break is they also put on the table the potential, the possibility of three interest rate increases next year, But as I was saying in the last segment, even with three interest rate increases, that would take the federal funds rate to three quarters of 1%, which is still historically low. But I had a long conversation with dad this past week. And and just to reiterate to our listeners, the the Federal Reserve does not control interest rates. Investors do. You know, investors control the interest rate environment. So it's not a foregone conclusion that just because the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates that we're going to be seeing a huge sharp rise in the 10-year treasury, for example, because as dad and I were discussing and to remind all of our listeners, we still have trillions and trillions of dollars invested globally in negative interest rate sovereign debt. And one aspect from an investment standpoint that has been containing our interest rate environment here in the United States has been foreign bond buyers here in the United States, because the U.S. Treasury bond bill and note is considered the only riskless investment in the world. So we're a bastion of safety for investors globally. And the other thing I wanted to add is, even if we start to see interest rate increases next year and the Federal Reserve turning more hawkish, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a complete death nail to the stock market. What we have always said on this program The biggest risk to the stock market is sharply higher interest rates in a very short period of time. That is the biggest danger to the stock market. But if interest rates move in a more orderly fashion, yes, there's going to be some knee-jerk reactions. There's going to be some pullbacks in the stock market. 
I just don't want our listeners and investors to think that if the Federal Reserve is turning a little more hawkish, that it means that it's the death to the stock market because we're still in a situation with the TINA acronym. There is no alternative. So the quote-unquote death to the stock market. Um, I don't want investors to think that. Well, And I'm not saying it's death to the stock market. The I, stock market I, no, will no, I understand. react. Well, but, but will I, react, and okay. it will be a negative reaction. The, I think you have to take in con. To me, the con. There's a there's a context you have to take into consideration with the fact that the Federal Reserve is is continuing to change their language and accelerate uh, their expectations for the you know, the tapering ending and and the potential for cha- for the Fed to start raising interest rates. They keep changing it to closer and closer and closer. And so the, what does the market really not like? The market does not like uncertainty. And what's happening, when, at least in terms of the Fed, is you're, now you're starting to hear more and more of the Fed's behind the curve, the Fed's lost touch, uh, the Fed's got to get on in a hurry. We talked a few weeks ago about, I think, was it the IMF or some other organization internationally saying that that our Federal Reserve was behind the curve and that they should be raising interest rates faster than they are. Oh, really? Because the ECB did raise rates this past past week. Only the Bank of England England raised interest rates 15 basis points or 0.15%. But the ECB didn't touch rates. Sorry, Jeff. So the context context you have to, in my opinion, you have to take into consideration is the fact that we've had three straight years in a row – of double-digit returns in the stock market. The, the S&P 500 would have to fall 13% in the next nine trading days. That's one percent more than 1% a day for the S&P to return less than double digits for 2021. That's not likely to happen. So we're going to have three straight years of double-digit returns in the S&P 500. And historically, that is that – is, uh, there's not a high probability that the fourth year, there's going to be four years in a row of double-digit returns. I'm not saying we're having negative returns, but I, but we're, we're certainly hearing expectations. You know, we're hearing, I think we heard from Goldman Sachs on Friday talking about you need to bring down your expectations for stocks in 2022. I, you know, I think we've got to, investors have got to bring down their expectations for stocks in 22. Oh, Morgan Stanley uh, also was on record saying. Morgan, okay, Morgan Stanley. Negative was the 5% same, somewhere. In they said a negative number. See, I haven't, I haven't heard too many negative numbers. That's, they, but, that's but the they've only always neg- been more bearish as a he, firm, he's, period. He's like the, he's like the clock that's going to. And so the context, what I, what I say I've taken into context is you've had three, all these, these three straight years of really good returns for investors. Uh, when was the last time we had a 20% correction? Well, it was March of 2020, COVID, and it ended very quickly. Fourth quarter of 2018. Okay, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about the last Most three years. Recent, That's yes. what I said. I said the last three years. On the last but three, okay. Last three years. So the point I'm trying to make is if you've got a Fed that seems to be moving faster to making their first interest rate increase – are they going to be making their second or third rate increase faster than what the market expects? And so, and you've got it in, in, in the backdrop of three straight years of double digit returns. And I think we can all agree that 
in terms of valuations from a price to earnings ratio, valuations are at the top of the range. I, I don't know if they're at all time highs, but they're at the top of the range. Top of the range. I didn't say all time highs. Are we You're, talking specifically you got, just the S P as a whole or I, certain I'm stocks? Talk, no, I'm talking about the S P as a whole. But okay. yes, let's talk about certain stocks. Can we all agree that the market's performance has been driven by not all 500 stocks in the S&P 500? Absolutely not. You're absolutely right. By bang, we have a new acronym for it. Has it been driven (laughs) by maybe 25 stocks? Mm, It's really a lot of of the return. And to answer that question, if you look at the big tech names, the Amazon, Google, Facebook, Meta, uh, it's Meta Amazon, now. Microsoft, I know, Meta. They defang fang. If you take out those stocks, just the top big five to six tech stocks out of the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ would be up roughly eight to nine percent. Okay. So those other six stocks have been a big driving force of the total return. It also applies to the S&P 500 because the S&P 500 this year, we've seen a lot of names in the S&P 500 see 10 to even 20% corrections. But even looking through the tech stocks that we own, just this month alone, we have a lot of those, you know, we don't have a ton. In fact, we're underweighted in the technology sector versus the S&P 500, slightly underweighted, and we have been all year. But I start to look at, yes, some more elevated price-earning multiple for the stocks we own, but they're still not violating their price-earnings-to-growth ratio, which is a fundamental thing that we look at. But here's the thing. Will these stocks be affected in a rising interest rate environment? Yes, for a time. Because I'm still, and I know, Jeff, you and I argue about this, but with some of these tech names, you have to look at, TAM, total addressable market, and you have to look at earnings per share growth. You have to look at sales growth. You have to look at free cash flow. There's other fundamental data that you can look at to extrapolate the health of these tech names. Will they get hit for a time? Yes. Will they come out of season for a time? Yes. But we're long-term investors. And, and, and hopefully the listeners of our program is also long-term investors, and they're not renters of stock. So these stocks might be taken out to the woodshed for a while, but these companies are still fundamentally strong for the mid and long term to continue to be held in your portfolio. But you have to hold them at the right allocation. Well, well Kyle, we talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about equal weight versus market weight, where you're seeing a majority of the returns – you know, come from a, a, a smaller number of stocks, if you will. But you also look at how do you prepare your portfolio for next year? And I mean, we, this second quarter of this year, we talked about having more of a barbell approach and, and transitioning the portfolio to where we have more growth and value. In my opinion, that's what you need to be preparing yourself for in your portfolio is more of a barbell approach next year. Some of these, these, uh, these stocks with high PE ratios come back down to earth. You know, how are you prepared to deal with that right now? Well, you have to, again, you're not talking about sure. Zoom and, and DocuSign and some Correct. Other but you have to stocks. make sure that you're appropriately allocated. I agree with you, Joe, that you have to have that barbell approach. If you don't have one in your portfolio where you have both growth and value, that this is something you really needed to take a hard, strong look at in December to prepare, to prepare your portfolio going into the new year. Because every conversation I'm having with clients is we're in a ship and we see those storm clouds on the horizon. 
and we're going to be coming into choppier waters as we get into 2022. And we have to prepare, and you as an investor have to prepare your portfolio to be able to weather the storms that are going to be coming in 2022. So let's take our next commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's Money Wise program, wanted to continue our conversation, and I wanted just to make the point, if you listen through the commercial break, as far as the storm clouds. And what I mean by storm clouds, I'm not saying that we're going to be seeing a negative year on Wall Street next year. That's not what I'm saying. But I think Jeff's point in the last segment of setting the right expectations that we've had three years in a row of double-digit returns in the S&P 500, and the probability and likelihood is definitely much smaller to see that again going into 2022, especially when you have a Federal Reserve that is turning more hawkish. There's an old saying from the beginning of Wall Street, from the beginning of the Federal Reserve, is you don't fight the Fed. You don't fight the Fed, and we're coming into a more hawkish Fed, but it is still data-dependent. If we start to see inflationary inflation start to come down, if we have already seen peak of inflation and it starts to moderate and comes down a lot quicker in the first and second quarter, that could give cover for the Federal Reserve to push out their first interest rate increase a bit. But here's something else we have to keep in mind. We have the midterm election in November. Now, I know the Federal Reserve is bipartisan. They're not supposed to have any kind of political pressure. But with all the wrong things that the current administration has done, they, have, they can't even get out of their own way as far as doing the wrong things. The last thing they want to see is a stock market being in negative territory and the economy to be coming Slower to growth. a screeching yep. halt right before a midterm election, because that would then absolutely be a death nail driven with a 16-pound sledgehammer come the midterms. Yeah, well, as we all know, the President Biden has re-upped Chairman Powell for another term. So Chairman Powell... One decision he's made right. One decision he's made right so far. So so Chairman Powell will be in at least through the midterms. uh, since Since he can't be fired as we all well know. But let me ask you, I just want to make one more point about the Biden administration. No, no more points. No, I have to. You talked over me this entire show. You didn't let me finish my thoughts. Let Jeff eat. This came from Dad. This actually came from Dad. This came from Dad in our conversation. What did Dad have He said, did you hear about the Biden administration kind of very quietly auctioning off 80 million acres of federal lands in the Gulf of Mexico for oil okay. drilling and exploration. I don't, this is kind of out in left field. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I, I'm just saying. Hmm, it seems like maybe he's trying to go back to a uh, policy that was in place with the prior president, but of course doesn't want it to get out in the media that he auctioned off eight, the administration auctioned off eighty million acres. Okay. 
So for oil ex- exploration and drilling, you're saying drill, baby, drill. So uh, yeah, but of course you're not going to hear that in the uh, in the press, right? And I've kind of lost what my train sorry, of thought that, is. Sorry, my train of thought thought was about why does the Federal Reserve raise interest rates? What is the reason for raise you making changes to interest rates? Well, to raise them. That would mean that the Federal Reserve, in their opinion, uh, believes that the economy is getting overheated in some way, shape, or form. We can all agree that inflation is overheated because we've got the highest inflation in 30 years. I don't think the, I, I don't think I don't think the job market is overheated. <clears throat> no. What's think, his mandate? Think, his mandate I, is well. The mandate. No, no, Joe, Joe. Hold on. The mandate about jobs is done. They're done with that mandate. The mandate now is getting inflation down. Well, the Fed, the Fed can do nothing about supply chains. They can't do anything to convince people to go back to work that have retired or don't want to work or whatever the reason is that we're in the predicament that we're in now. The job issue is, is not an issue. It's all, about, it's all about fighting inflation now. And so the Federal Reserve raises interest rates in order to do what? Slow the economy. That's why they raise interest rates. It doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't happen the day that they do it. But they raise, they're raising interest rates in order to slow aspects of the economy in order to reduce what, whatever one of their mandates is, as Joe mentioned. And it's not employment. It's inflation. So now the Fed's got to fight inflation via, in their minds, via uh, Federal Reserve policy changes i.e. raising interest rates. And so if the Federal Reserve is now going to be on the mandate to lower inflation via raising interest rates to slow the economy, well, to slow the economy de facto means, well, they're going to slow other – in order to slow the economy, you got to slow growth. If you slow growth, you slow profits, right? So it all leads back to – you know, when does this really start to get into the stock market? What we're seeing right now, I think, is more into the year noise than it, than anything. Once we get into 2022 and the taper really ends and the market has to stand on its own two feet, the economy has to stand on its own two feet without bond buying from the Federal Reserve, and the first interest rate increase gets put, gets put in this summer, how much will the market have already figured that in? How much of a of a lowering of the valuation in stocks is going to occur between now and the first interest rate increase? I think the market will have, will price in all of this before they actually do the first increase. Now, is that ten percent lower from here? Is that twenty? Is that do we get a twenty percent down downturn and 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 a quick succession and then it rallies back up again? I think there is a 99.9% probability that we're going to have definitely going to have at least a 10% correction. And I think at least a 75% probability that that one time during next year, we're going to be down 20% high from, from, from one point down 20% and it's going to get investors attention. It's going to get people's attention and people are going to, and it's going to get the machines attention. You know, the machines are going to start to play on this. But like we've seen, so what that means, what that means, you know, let me let me finish my thought. Let me finish my thought. What that means is to to me 
is the por- a portfolio is going to have to be constructed of a, a lower allocation to stocks than maybe it currently has for a period of time. And it's going to have to have a lower allocation to these names that have, have done so well and so much money has rushed into them. Whether it's 10 names, 15 names, 20 names, whatever it is, um, you're going to have to own less of that. And I, and I talked about the large cap, the, the concentration in large cap growth mutual funds that they have in these stocks and how I thought that was dangerous. And it can't go on forever. And 2022, I think there's going to be a, a, a correction in those names. And another thing is the bond side of the equation. Well, and what are people going to do with the bond side of their portfolio? And I'm, and I'm, and I've, and I've, I don't know how many times we've warned people about this. You can't own long maturity bond mutual funds in your portfolio in a rising interest rate environment. And Joe will probably get ready to point out, and I'm, and I'm sorry if I'm sealing some thunder here, Joe, look at your target date funds. Look at, look at uh, some of these balanced mutual funds and look and see where their bond portfolios look are, at the duration are, invest, on are their fact sheet. Yeah, and, and when we talk about know what you own, there's really right. no way to I, – I would challenge our listeners, okay, maybe not our clients because we, we try to educate everybody as well as we can. Look at your next 401K statement. Go try to figure out if you have a target date fund. And say you're in a 2030, 2025, or, or 2035 – what is your duration uh, in your target date fund? And if it's above five, if it's above five years, side. you better get your pencils ready, and you better make. You might want to make some adjustments because that's going to do some damage to the portfolio, especially with what Jeff talked about comes to fruition. You have large cap growth correcting, or maybe the market correcting, maybe rates are going up, and you're expecting the bonds to help you out, and they're not. So. But, yeah. but here's something else. Even with the Fed and, and everything that they can do from a monetary policy standpoint, you know, it's not as if they can just slam the brakes on the economy because we got to remember how much money has been saved by the consumer, by American households, from all this stimulus money that they've been receiving since the beginning of the pandemic. I said on last weekend's show, you have, on average, every household in America – has about 10% more cash per month to spend going into 2022. The average household received $9,500 in stimulus money on average across this country. So even though, Jeff, I know you took me to task a couple weeks ago saying, well, the consumer sentiment has come down a little bit, that might be true, but we still have a lot of consumers with a lot of cash. And and a housing shortage. Yeah, we still have the housing shortage because there wasn't enough construction because of the COVID lockdowns and shutdowns and supply chain constraints. So the big kind of question between all the financial talking heads is, will the Fed, is the Fed too late or are they going to do too much tightening? Well, if the Fed's really too late, the if the Fed's too late, that means they're going to have to do multiple interest rate increases in succession. And that's not going to be good for stocks because the next I thing that would left. say is three steps and a stumble. And forget about Forget about uh, politics. Politics isn't going to affect the, the Federal Reserve's uh, policy so? at all. No. Okay. No. All right. No. There's no. There's no. no one on the governor board, the, the the board of governors that has left leaning tendencies. Are we going to have a Christmas Davidson Capital fight night? 
All right. Well, let's take our let's take let's take a commercial break. I think we should. Let's take a commercial (laughs) break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, you know, I just want to get back to, you know, again, we have volatility. It's coming. You know, we've seen some, we've seen quite a bit of it this month in December 2022. Is you see it this a- week. Yeah, we've seen it this week. We've seen it this month. We're going to be going into a more volatile period. So it's very important for all of our listeners to make sure you keep your emotions in check. You know, investor psychology and being overly emotional about your portfolio can wind up doing more damage to your portfolio than the stock market ever could or will. But you have to make sure you're allocated properly. Back to Joe's very, you know, when he first got onto the Money Wise program, know what you own. Check your allocations. You know, at Davidson Capital Management and our individual individual stock and bond accounts, our stock positions are equally weighted, but those weightings are less than 1% when it comes to an individual stock. And it's a highly diversified portfolio with stocks that are constantly vetted and constantly proving to us as the money manager of why we own them in our portfolio. So if you're managing your money yourself or you're working with someone else, you have to make sure you understand why these stocks are in your portfolio and making sure they're continuing to prove why you own them. But just know, as we get into a tighter Fed policy, a more hawkish Fed, I will agree with Jeff that these higher price earning multiple stocks will be kind of the first taken out to the woodshed could be seen as a buying opportunity as they as they correct, but there are other variables that you need to look at with these stocks. If you've got a high PE multiple stock with no earnings or very limited earnings per share growth or very low sales, that's kind of a dangerous combination. So could we see maybe even for a quarter a period like 08 where you have obviously bond prices are going down. The stock market's going down. I think it was 08, yes. right? The, the intermediate bond prices yes. were down I, I in think, stocks. I think we yes. can see a quarter where that possibly happens. Then we adjust and we come out of it. I, 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 well, think, we, I think we could probably see maybe more than one quarter of that where we're both It's Christmas. Stocks, stocks I'm being are, hopeful. No, I'm just – I'm describing next year. I'm, 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 I'm yeah. setting expect. We're all, we're all about setting you – know, we're getting into the – we're getting ready for Prognostications. Um. I think we've got to set expectations for next. I mean, yeah. it's the right it's the right thing to do because you got to get prepared now. And we're going to be making many many changes to the portfolio after you know as the as we come into the new year. And Which I've also been talking to clients about right. It, it, it really, if you're right. mentally prepared for it, it's not going to be as big of a shock. But, but, and you but might he, not have a knee jerk reaction yeah. in the portfolio. Be mentally be mentally be mentally prepared. For at least a ten percent correction, if not multiple ten percent corrections next year, and also be mentally prepared. I think there's going to be a twenty percent, or I think this will be the first. I think this will be the first one since 
you know, if we if we take COVID out of the equation, it, you have to go back to 2018, I believe, for the last 20% correction that we've Fourth had. Quarter. That is correct. Yeah. When the Fed turned hawkish. So, so that's, yeah, exactly. When, the when Fed. was the last time we had the 20% correction? When the Fed turned, turned hawkish. But now, they didn't, te- but they didn't telegraph it the way that they've been telegraphing the, it now. Yeah. The telegraph is, the story keeps moving up the, moving up when it's, when we're actually going to get the first rate increase. And but again, there's different variables that can push I, their are, rate increase further out. We've, I, we've I, got I, Omicron. We've got all the different geopolitical. Uh, well, there's you know, there's all sorts of different variables. Yes, Jim. I'm, Jeff sent a really nice chart out that goes back to 1926 regarding the S and P index, and we all have it. So, if you look at it, and I'm reading this correctly, there are only six years when the S and P was down 20 percent or more. So a year. For the, for the year, for yes. The so if you look back year. historically, right. you know, in in seventy five percent of the time, uh, the market's like positive, right? And roughly twenty five percent of the time, return for the year. Yep. Yeah. Negative. But, so, but but I will say the the one thing I will say as far as our overall portfolios from a macro asset allocation standpoint, stocks, bonds to cash, we're going to be in and around where our allocation has been all year this year going into twenty twenty two. But the internal components and how we divide those assets from a macro level is going to be different, is going to look different. It's not going to be a wholesale change, but there's definitely going to be some adjustments from asset class representation, moving away from some of the large cap, moving into more large cap core, mid cap core, mid cap value, large cap value. So we're going to be making those adjustments come the beginning of the new year. And as I've said to clients, kind of battening down our hatches a little bit tighter uh, going into what we see is a little more storm clouds ahead going into 2022 with the change of the Fed policy. But again, it all it's all data dependent. If we see the supply chain start to loosen up, we start to see inflation come down. We know that the consumer in the American household is sitting on piles of cash we know that. We know that a lot of banks, in fact, Jeff, I heard the overnight repo market just this past week had $1.7 trillion in assets parked by banks around the country overnight. So that is money that they're not lending. That's not money that they're putting out into, into the economy, into consumers' hands. So that is a huge amount of money, again, that's available to be pumped into the economy from consumers. Well, if, if the consumer, if consumers or businesses want it, but the other thing is, is if, if banks can get some interest rate increase, can, can get a Fed rate increase, how much money does that put in the Fed into those banks' uh, balance Pocket. sheets on their income statements? A lot, a lot, a lot and of money. Why, and that's why financials is a good spot to look good. going into twenty twenty two. So, as well as dividend payers. You know, because we're not making it on the fixed income side. But and that is one thing I would say for our portfolios where our fixed income strategy is adjusting significantly going into 2022. I think the meme stocks in 2022 are dead. I don't know, Jeff. There's a lot of those diamond hands in the uh, Reddit and they and they don't know what we know. They're, They're They're novices. They're dead. Well, those look, stocks look are those stocks are going to be dead. Those stocks are going to be dead in 2022. Well, look what happened to Bitcoin. Oh, they won't be using marketed. their city checks. That's for sure. Tomorrow. Yeah, it's it, yeah, exactly. Bitcoin, the cryptocurrencies, it's an inflation hedge. Really? 
How's Bitcoin doing? Oh, 30% off its high? I mean, avoid it like the Black Plague, all those cryptocurrencies. What about... What I think Charlie gold? Munger put it. I, what I about Char- all the favorite, all the favorite, you know, I think about, Charlie, look at gold with good stuff Char- of the year. Charlie Munger put it best. Cryptocurrency is worse than rat poison. <laughs> so with that, we're coming up at the top of the hour. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back from the news, we'll be heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with some investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, but we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called The Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this... <laughs> I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which you know for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And... You know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that we don't abide by that 70 to 80% of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, most instances, I say you need 95 to 100% of what you're currently earning now. You need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle because the one... I think variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, calculate, doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of 
in retirement than you do during your working years. A leisure time. That's right. You have a lot more leisure time, so you have more time to travel. If you're into hunting, fishing, golfing, those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination. Or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money. And so, you know, that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now, again, I think is a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say also medical expenses. That's the one thing that uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older because that's, that's true. definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the, the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that, that's a big unknown that's out there, and I think um, I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with, with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I, and so I think retirees or folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg, that's something that they need to keep, keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12% effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be. And, again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think – Maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients. And they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce in income in retirement? They may, maybe, the, the, maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need, but maybe if you had an estimate of what, the, what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now or if you were to retire, say, 10 years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of 7% a year and say, do you think this number will be enough money for you to retire on uh, when you reach retirement years? Let's say that the, the that they bring a portfolio of a certain size and we and we estimate that it'll grow at seven to eight percent a year for another ten years. And the number we start off with is a million dollars. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's seventy thousand dollars a year, seven percent of a million dollars. So, is is seventy thousand? Do you think seventy thousand dollars a year, based on a one million dollar portfolio, will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now? If we find that there's that the the client is spending a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year on their lifestyle, then seventy thousand dollars in retirement, we're not even taking into account any Social Security, of course, might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target. Uh, income or do we need to think about uh lowering living expenses lowering 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 liver expenses lowering expectations uh for income in retirement all three well i maybe I think, all three i think one thing that a lot of retirees can get or pre-retirees can get in trouble 
is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm, I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year, it's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic. And the one, one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations. And what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan. And what are your goals? And say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor, it's like, I got to beat the S&P each and every year. You're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. When we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We're actually still working on myth number one. Uh, that myth, again, uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals, and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that is that is one. We see this that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think another type of client that we that we're seeing and maybe this is an offshoot of 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 the new target date funds that have been out here for about the last 10 years and that's this assumption that as i get closer and closer to retirement i need to have more and more of my money in in bond investments and in fixed income investments and less and less in stock because i need to be taking less risk and so by having more money in fixed income well that would be traditionally saying well i'm taking less risk well that's all fine and good in a normal interest rate environment. And I use that in quotations. As, but this is not a normal interest Definitely rate Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So... <clears throat> Having a asset allocation strategy that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend 
an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. Is not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Dave? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stock side of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond you know, slightly, you know, less than three, you're you're not getting up to the seven percent, which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our twenty five years. But and it's because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the people Fed, say it. Very, very few people would say that. No, I, nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know, than us. Either we, than us. We know, we know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word connected with bonds. So... Are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two. My retirement years won't last that long. The fact is, today's today, individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And with a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50/50 chance of of living past 86 years old. And so that again goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me? Till I'm 86, or till I'm 95, and if you and have, nobody knows, and if you have a seven percent rate of withdrawal in your portfolio, and you've got a hundred percent fixed income earning you two percent, you're not going to get there. It's not. It may not last 21 years. You know, as I always, as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier. But unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. Myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better, the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college that just graduated just got their diploma and they get their first job and if they had a if they this 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 1 million dollar 
goal to have in your in your retirement years. You start off your retirement with a one one million dollar nest egg. If you started saving when you were twenty one, twenty two years old, and you save for forty years to get to sixty two, the you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day, brown bagging out, it, by brown, brown bagging it, going to work about about eight dollars a day. It's like two hundred and fifty dollars a month. If you save that amount of money at twenty two years old and you never change it, you would accumulate and you would accumulate about a million dollars at an eight percent compounded rate of return. You know what our listeners can do? They can just go into Google and Google the term time value of money and read the explanation. I mean, it's very, very simple. And, and again, if you're someone who's in their 40s, maybe in their early 50s, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to, to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement, and that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retirement of the average retiree's income. So, uh, you know, you're you're talking, you know, 62% that still needs to be made up. And 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 again, to be very blunt. If you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, the fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments, or COLA for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. Um if you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And, and again, as, as we all know, uh, with the invention of the 401K through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash lump sum distribution from your pension, and the, and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% uh, funding rate by the corporation 
to take a 100% lump sum, and then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution, and then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know one particular organization here in town that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that that $1,500 that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services 10 years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget, that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life And it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths the ten myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because, again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect uh, of the market that, that individuals don't think about a lot and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault 
because of monetary inflation. It, it affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients when we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, ha- when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets, I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than a half of a typical retiree's medical bills and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And, Dad, I mean, you're absolutely. you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because, no, that's, you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is, again, an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include, what do you pay, around four uh, $500 a month? It's getting more and more expensive. It is, okay. So your supplemental plan is getting more and more expensive. So I would say... And we've already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe $600 a month for that supplemental policy Uh, or even more? uh, Actually, it's going to to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is currently. Maybe six to $800? It's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is at this point in time... Because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so there's instances where your your specialists are going to change. That's not all, That's another myth, too. Is that you may You're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current healthcare yes. providers. Yeah, that's not even that's your not, primary care. That's positions. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in a health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare, because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are I mean, safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What do, what do they mean is, by that? There is none. Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, yes. this indexed annuity, th- this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about... Certificates of deposit, yes. or government bonds, yes. But those safe vehicles for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. I was in, about to say in, they, in today's interest rates, they need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very loose term. Something right less there. than one percent is not accumulating to me. I, I mean, the, the the bottom line: anyone going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I'm, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, 
then you're the portfolio manager. And you cannot... Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. That's right. Yeah, that, that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of, oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely. Again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That That's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, uh, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, so myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007, and with home values just starting to come back well, and revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and, and living off of the equity bills in your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lent itself to to that financial crisis there's a lot of folks that it still could be underwater have zero or very little home equity Uh, so we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank look at your house as where you live and if you have equity built into it fantastic but don't include it in a financial plan that hey this is a register that i'm going to be able to ring if i need to anything else you wanted to add myth number nine if need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. <laughs> well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth Usually number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. The fact is that many people use this as an excuse for dele- delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. Uh, There must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, the the fact that 
this many people could be getting along. I thought it would be, would be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. You, well, I, I mean, and unfortunately, again, if if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed, then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them. And, and, and I would think that that's, that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child saying, well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an extra uh, yeah, room in your house. Yeah, I'm going to be, because I did such a poor job planning for retirement, now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 myths of retirement planning. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we spent the last hour of this weekend's moneywise program going through the 10 myths of retirement planning and we finally arrived at myth number 10 and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning Uh, Now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up, but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, and guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt, consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very, very extravagant lifestyle, doesn't matter how much you, you, you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah. It's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr- large nest eggs but but also have been have really big spending habits. Usually, it's their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll still see people that save quite a bit of money, and then they get in retirement, and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even. Enjoy, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's 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 about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point: is that 
retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. You have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility right. and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you, and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum, we're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be, never be a penny more or a penny less. And no one knows that that's going to be enough with your other retirement income to get through retirement. So like like Kyle said, and then we'll reiterate it again, flexibility is the key because markets don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. I, I, and, to, and to me, of the ten myths, the one that, that, that really I strikes a chord with strikes you. Strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs because that is the one guarantee I would say you're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes. Those are the three now. It's not just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation and medical inflation care. Inflation is all – I don't know that I've ever lived – in, in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos- positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life. And, the, and and if I've been living 48, I have no reason to doubt that the next 48 are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than 2%, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than 2% for their living expenses. And so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And, you know, we've always used at least a minimum 3% uh, inflation rate. And so if, if, you're, if you're accumulating assets into retirement and you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in, a, in fixed income or bond investments, there isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent unless you go way way out. Well, there's the no one yielding seven, and we're talking about in our experience, our 25 years, we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size but you what started I'm saying, with. Yeah, but what I'm saying yeah. is is that Greater than the you, size you can't even get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is, is at least the minimum true rate of inflation. No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. No. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical co- Medicare costs are growing at at three percent or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs, and those the, are and the, probably that, high single digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits with 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 college costs. So, 
you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare you have to plan as i've always tried to educate on this program that if if you're listening to the show and you're 6 months 12 months out from retiring this is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does, like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not, which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them. You need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball, and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with. They wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said, wow, that sounds good. They threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees. Well, I'm just going to sign on the dotted line, and then they're toast. Their portfolio is toast, and they're locked into something. They lost their flexibility. They lost their flexibility, and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors and then they wind up regretting that and then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly and it can't be done overnight either. exactly and it can't be done overnight so you know again you have to plan you have to prepare do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.